Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 16. Psalm 16 this morning. We have uh, get to partake in Lord's Supper together this morning. I've been looking forward to that, and so thinking about that is what led me to uh, Psalm 16. I think it's a good psalm for us to enter that time together, Lord's Supper. I looked up some sermons on Psalm 16, and I wanted to uh, share with you the titles, some of the titles that I uh, came up with as I was just looking on the internet and in some books and some different places. But I'm not, I'm not good with titles. It's not my thing. But when you hear these titles, I, I think they pique our interest. Uh, one of them was The Secret to a Happy Life. We also have Life and the Path to It. Our All-Sufficient Portion was another one. The Path to Fulfill and Lasting Pleasure. And the last one was the benefits of a life commitment to God. Now, I don't know when you hear them titles, I don't know who wouldn't want to know what that is. I mean, the secret to a happy life. I think we'd all would like to, to know that. And these titles, again, are, are catchy. But what we see in Psalm 16 is it's true. These titles actually, they, they hold up. And, it, and it's real. Because uh, what we have in the psalm today is something very special. In fact, uh, some theologians, as you study this of old, would call this David's jewel of psalm, or some call it David's golden psalm. And so I hope that we enjoy our time together and looking in the Word of God in Psalm 16, and we allow it to speak to our hearts and see the truth of it. And again, as we enter in our time of, of Lord's Supper together, our communion time together. So let's uh, follow along with me as I, I read Psalm 16 for us this morning. This is a psalm by David. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We'll break this psalm up some and look at these pretty much verse by verse. But in verses 1 and 2 we, we see that David makes a vow to God, don't we? And David actually makes a really big declaration to God in this very small section of the psalm because in it what he does is he looks to God and to God alone for refuge that's what he's crying out saying preserve me I take refuge in you right he's declaring this to God and we have to remember who it is who is saying this and who it is that wrote this psalm I think to really bring it home to us because David David is the king he is the king of Israel. He is, he is God's chosen king, the one that God had Samuel anoint for Israel. And when we, when we know the backstory of David, 
right? We, <laughs> we learn about this as a kid. I mean, David was the one who stood before Goliath, the giant. And what did he do? He took him down. When everybody else was scared to death, David wasn't scared. David, this, this young boy at the time, teenager of some sort, remember what he said to all the soldiers of Israel? You're going to let this guy just talk like this? This great boldness this guy had to, to then go forth. And <clears throat> remember, the king was trying to give him all this armor and everything, and David's like, oh, no, 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 I just, I just need a couple stones and this sling. I'll, I'll deal with this guy. This is the boldness of David, and now we have David declaring, God, it's in you I take refuge. I need you to preserve me. Or maybe that's not enough for you. What we have, too, is we have the king. Now think about, think about the comfort of the king sitting on his throne, and what is he surrounded by? He's surrounded by his army. He's surrounded by men whose job is to take care of him, to make sure that nothing happens to him. If there's anybody in the land of Israel who's secure, it's King David. So surrounded by his military, protected on all sides, he recognizes, as he writes this, that none of this even matters, really, apart from the protection from God. Because if God isn't the one protecting him, if the God isn't the one that he's seeking refuge in, then at any second, the lines could be broken and something could happen to David. And David goes on, not just talking about protection or refuge here, but he even says in verse 2, he says, You are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. David recognizing here that God is the giver of all good things. And I don't know how often we think about that. I don't know how often we reflect on that. But we know that that is true in Scripture. In fact, in James chapter 1, verse 17, James, was, James would write, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I don't know how much you reflect on that in your daily life, but all good things in your life come only because of God. It doesn't come because you have a good job and you can afford it. It comes because God allows all that in your life. Whatever you did this week, you remember I was kind of joking last week, saying this past week, the greatest week in Monroe County every year with the fair, and whatever you think about it, but some of you probably had good weeks. Some of you had a fun time. Some of you got to experience things that you look forward to. You should be reflecting on the fact that that's, that is a gift from God that you have the privilege to do that. That you, you get to take part in that. As I was studying this psalm, just thinking about the fact the weather that we had this week was astounding. It was, it was fantastic. It would get a little warm, but in the shade, it wasn't too hot. You could enjoy yourself outside. I mean, it was a, it was a beautiful week, but a lot of us probably go through this week, and we don't, even, we don't even reflect on that. You know what we're reflecting on? The fact that it's raining today. We get bummed out, right? But God's given us many days of, of great weather to enjoy. And that, why? Because he gives good things to us. And not just to his people, but to his creation as well, as we talked about last week. And David here is just reflecting that. He's saying, I have no good apart from you. And as the king, he wants this to be known. And he's not doing this for fame. He's not doing this to be recognized. He's doing this because he knows that God is the giver of all good things. And alone to him deserves praise and adoration because of it. Well, as we get to verse 3, David kind of shifts focus a little bit. He's praising God for all the good. And I don't know if this was the first thing on David's mind, but it's interesting that one of the first things that comes to David's mind 
when he's talking about the good things that God gives is what? The people of God. He says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent one. And what does he say? In whom is all my delight. David shares his love for God's people as he's, as he's praising God. And this is often seen that the two are not separated. Oftentimes when people are praising God, they also praise him for what he has done with the people that he has called. And David is doing this here again. And I think this is important for us because there are still people in this room today, no matter how much I preach on it, no matter how much I talk, on, talk about it, you still think that your faith is just personal. That it's just a personal thing between you and God and nobody else has a part in it. And I gotta tell you, that is not scriptural. You cannot find that anywhere. And David is reflecting that here. We are the people of God. That's one of the reasons why I thought this psalm was so good for us to enter a time of Lord's Supper together. When we partake of Lord's Supper here in a little bit and you, you get that bread and you get that cup, you're not the only one getting that. You're not alone in receiving that this morning. We, we are receiving that together. I'm getting that. And others who've been saved by God's grace are, are getting that. And what are we saying? We're saying, God, you have done this in my life. And we do this together as a local church. Why? Because he's brought us, us together. And David is delighting in the people that God has put around him that are God's people. And this is something I think that we can learn from. The same people that David, no doubt, <laughs> no doubt as a leader, the same people that David struggled with. Like, oh my gosh, here he comes again. I know what he's going to say. It's going to be some problem I got to deal with. Oh, here she comes. She's probably just wanting money or something. All right, let's deal with her again. Right, as a leader, I'm sure he had to face all these difficult things and decisions and people. We know people turn their back on David. All kinds of stuff happened. Yet it's these people who he would live with on a daily basis through the good and through the bad, through the difficult and through the easy. It's these people that when he's crying out to God and he's, he's praising God and seeking refuge from God, he says, I find delight in your people. I'm a part of your people, and they are a part of you. And David loved them. Why? Because God had chosen them. They were God's people. And so in his praise, David praises God for the people of God and the people that he's with. As we continue in this section, and really the first four verses are kind of a little section about David's life, we see in verse 4 that David's focus shifts to those who are not the people of God. And he says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. And we see a refusal from David to bow down to the wicked one. And we see him promising, again, to keep himself unstained from the world. And when I was reading this, and I don't know if you think about this, my mind went to Psalm 1, the very first psalm. Because in the very first psalm, which a lot of us think about and memorize and know... He would write, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is what David is talking about here. David, David is declaring to God, he's saying, I have, I have no desire in my heart to sin. I have no desire in my heart to chase after the things of this world. That's what the others are doing. That's what he's saying. They are running after another God. We see this all the time, don't we? 
We know the, we know the small g gods that are in our world today. And we have many family members, we have many friends who day in and day out, the grind that they live in is to serve those gods. Money, fame, family, all these, other, all these things. That's what they strive after. What well, was no different in David's time either. He saw these people pursuing these foolish things who are, who are stained by sin in the, in the world and rebelling against God. And David is declaring to God here, I will not even speak of these things. David realizes temptation is real. And David, of all people, again, I don't know at what point in his life he had wrote this psalm, but David, of all people, knows what temptation is and that we can fall into it rather quickly. We see this, that fact that he is an adulterer and also a murderer. I think it would do us well to try to say this along with David, try to ask God to help us with it. If you're anything like me, too often it's not, you know, I will not... I don't want to say, I'm not going to take the name on the lips. Like, I'll, I'll dabble a little bit, but I'm not going to let it get to sin. I, I'm interested in it. I want to see it. Oh, I need to know so that maybe I could use it in a lesson to warn people not to go there. Right? There's ways that you can talk about it and word it. But no, David is saying, I'm not even going to speak of these things because temptation is too great. And I want to be the Psalm 1 man doesn't sit with sinners or stand with them. No, I'm going to be different than that. And so David makes this great vow to God, help me in all times to not even have this on my lips. I was thinking about something Paul wrote in Philippians 4 in this section of saying I want to stay away from this. Paul wrote in Philippians 4 verse 8 9, he says, finally brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this is just a little side thing. But some of you, maybe you struggle greatly in your life, and you think, yeah, but it's my thoughts. I just can't stop thinking about how bad this world is. I can't stop thinking about how bad my situation is. I can't, I can't stop thinking about blah, 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 whatever it might be and the struggles you have. And I wonder how serious you take Philippians 4, 8, and 9 when Paul would say, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is true, these things think about. I wonder how many of us spend nights until one in the morning researching things that are not good are not pleasurable, are not kind. And then we wonder why we struggle so greatly with depression or anxiety or hurt or strife or whatever it might be. And it's because we're just not even doing the simple task of thinking about the lovely things, thinking about the pure things. Do you remember how the psalm started? All good things come from you. These are the things to dwell on. These are the things to be thinking of. I'm not telling you to be ignorant of the struggles of the world. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out this world is difficult and hard. And there's difficult things happening. I'm not saying to avoid all those things. But we do need to not dwell on them. That's what David is kind of talking about here. He's saying, this isn't what's going to be on my lips. On my lips is going to be the praise and the adoration of God 
Well, as we get to verses 5 through 10, we see God's response to David's life. Uh, We see in verses 5 through 7, God blesses David's life. He says, The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I want to stop there. We see these blessings on David's life. Here David shows us how a life lived and devoted to God. What does he call that? He says in return there's a blessing. There's a blessed life as we live for God and seek after him. And so David speaks of what? He says pleasant places are a part of his life. A a beautiful inheritance is part of his life. And why does this happen? He's saying because God provides this for me. Why? Because I love him. And this is what God does for those who love him. This is we a part of their life and this blessing and in these promises. And not just that, David says God gives him counsel. God gives him direction and and guides him in his life. And this is just an awesome promise that we get from this psalm here of guidance and direction for those who follow God and for those who love God. And I got to remind you because I I need reminding of this and this is why uh, I think I try to say this stuff so often. This is the God we serve. A God who gives counsel. A God who allows us to be in pleasant places. A God who cares for us. We do not serve a God, and again, I can be found guilty of this. We do not serve a God who's just sitting there waiting to beat us senseless every time we go astray. I get that thought sometimes in my head. I almost see God sometimes as like a a coach, and it's the coach who's just waiting for you to do something wrong so he can say, go run. Go. You did it wrong. Go run. You're going to get in shape. You're going to figure this out. And sometimes that's how I think of it. That's That's not the God we see in scripture. God loves us and he guides us and he, and he directs us and he cares for us. This is the God we serve. A God who delights in doing these things for his children. A God who delights in giving you an inheritance and blessing you. And then in verse 8 as we read, not just that, but, but protection. God provides protection. David knew that no one could touch him. Why? Because he was in the hand of God. And so there's almost this sense of he felt untouchable knowing God was in control. God's in control of all this. I am his and he is mine, you can think. As David is pouring out this praise, we really get to the the meat of this passage, which is in verses 9 and 10. Because in verses 9 and 10, David's mind goes away from uh, blessing and protection, but it goes to salvation. Because it goes to death. In verses 9 and 10, it says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices My flesh also dwells secure. Why? For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. We we see here with David is David is knowing that God will not let his people die. That's what he's saying. God will not let his people die. God will not abandon his people. See, in the Old Testament, they definitely knew that they would abide with God in some way after death. They knew that this was true. Sheol here is a place known as death or, <clears throat> or waiting. It's not, a, it's not a very good correlation with hell or what we have in the, the New Testament. It just seems to be, like, like I said, of death or a, a place of waiting. And David looked to God's promises to know that he would be kept from this. He's saying, you're going to keep me from this. Why? Because the Holy One cannot see corruption. And David is saying, I'm the Holy One. I, I've done these things. You've asked me 
to do, right? I've chosen you, I've followed you, and this is the blessing that's going to be given. And so David isn't just looking to the blessings of this life now currently that he was living, but also to death. And what did he say? I know even in that you will provide. You will provide. And so we have this this great promise that David is is saying here and declaring, declaring here in God's salvation. And that's what then obviously leads to verse 11. If this is true, then we see a great praise from David in verse 11. He says, you make known to me the path of life, that direction again. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Got all these blessings, uh, salvation, protection, all this stuff. How could I not live a life of joy? How can it not be there for me? Whatever this world may give, whatever this world may do, if I'm in you, you've conquered all this, well, then I have joy overflowing. And then David ends, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Wow, I would, I would like to see that on a job description someday that I'm applying for. Well, if you get this job, there will be pleasures forevermore. It's like, sign me up. You might not even ask how much money you make at that point. Who cares? There's going to be pleasure forevermore. And that's what David is declaring to God. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, these are the truths for God's people. These are the promises that we hold on to. A life lived and devoted to God, a promise of blessing and care and salvation. But there's a problem. There's a problem with this psalm as we read it. Uh, And David has a big problem. And the problem is this. Where's David? If he, he, the Holy One, was not going to see corruption, if he was not going to be abandoned to Sheol, if he was not going to die... Where's David? I should be able to meet him. I should be able to go see him. He should live somewhere or, or something. Right? And this would be a big story. But that's the big problem with this psalm and as we read it from David's point of view because David is dead. He's, he's dead. He's not, he's not with us. And so some then would conclude when we read Psalm 16 that it's not true. Because what David said was going to happen to him in verses 9 and 10 did not, it did not happen. He saw corruption. He saw death. Sheol was experienced in David's life. And so this is very troubling, I think, for us as we come to the end of the psalm. You see, the way it was portrayed to you by me a moment ago in Psalm 16 was we could all leave and be very happy in one sense. But in the other sense, is if we leave it like that, if, if I preach that portion of the message and said, this is for God's people, as you serve God, these are the blessings that he has promised you, I hope you realize that as we walked out of here, we'd all be walking out of here with a lot of weight and a lot of work to do. Because blessings would be dependent on what? On your willingness to serve God this week on your willingness to avoid temptation at all costs. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not want to leave this place this morning thinking, Tim, you better do better 
so that you can get blessings this week. Because then what God do I have? I have that coach God, don't I? I have that coach who's like, I'm going to pull your scholarship if you're not, if you're not doing what, what you're supposed to do. You're not playing defense. You're not scoring like you should. I'm going to pull your scholarship. You can't go to school here anymore. That, that would be my relationship with God. As long as I make God happy, God then will make me happy. See, that's how we can read this psalm, and that's what we can kind of maybe start to get from it. And all that gives us is guilt. It gives us shame because, as you and I both know, we have some messed up lives outside of this room. <laughs> See, in this room, we all have good lives. If I talk to you, how are things going? Good. How's the family? Oh, we're doing good. Everything's good. You guys are great. How was your week? That was a good week. But outside of these walls, it's very different, isn't it? That's not true. It's not true, and you know it. Things are a struggle, and they're difficult. And when you throw the whole Bible into the mix, it can get really hard. And so when we look at David's life, and again, we, we read Psalm 16, and if you know anything about David, if you grew up in church or if you've done reading on your own in the Bible, as I mentioned a little bit about David, David does not for a second live up to what he's saying he does. My heart is wholly devoted to you. Was it that way as he stared at Bathsheba? No. No. He was a sinner. He was a sinner. Was it that way as he devised a plan for Bathsheba's husband to die? No. He definitely wasn't devoted to God in that moment. And so he'd almost come across to a skeptic of the Bible would say, look at this, even this Psalm 16, this David, what a hypocrite, man. This proves that this isn't true. It would prove the Bible is not true because David said all this stuff. He didn't even live up to that and he died. Why do you read this? Why do you even hold on to this? Because you have the same problem that David had. You can't realistically pray this psalm on your own and think that it's going to come true. <laughs> well, thankfully, the Bible does a very good job in interpreting itself for us. And so if you would, I'll ask you to turn quickly to Acts chapter 2. Go ahead in your Bibles, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 36. I know it'll be on the screen, but you need to get used to flipping in your Bible some to know where things are. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 36, this psalm gets interpreted for us perfectly so that we do not have to wonder what does this psalm mean. We don't need to. Peter has done the work for us. So follow with me. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and here is our psalm, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath, 
to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, not David, this Jesus whom you crucified. Here we have Peter quoting this psalm for us. And he also quotes a little bit of Psalm 110, what we'll get to in a second. But what is he doing? He is using this psalm to prove the resurrection of Jesus. In this great sermon that Peter's preaching at Pentecost, he goes to Psalm 16 to prove the truth of Jesus. And look at, this is his argument. First, he looks at these people and he says, you killed Jesus. Now they could easily say, the Romans killed Jesus. I didn't do that. I didn't hang him to a cross. I didn't stab him in the side. No, Peter says, you killed Jesus. You need to know that. But there's a problem. Jesus could not stay dead. And what is Peter's proof of this? He says, let me give you proof. It's found in Psalm 16. The Holy One will not see corruption. He will not be with Sheol. See, what is Peter saying? He's saying, you killed Jesus, but he could not stay dead because he was not worthy or deserving of death. Why? Because the Holy One will not see it. And so therefore, the Father has raised him from the grave. And he points out very specifically, Peter does, he says, listen, David did not fulfill this psalm. He's telling this to a bunch of people who are David followers. (laughs) They're good Jewish people. David is the king. They they love him. right? They're going to praise him. And he's letting them know, listen, David does not fulfill this psalm for you. Why? He's dead. We can go to his tomb, he said. Let's go. I'll show you. He's gone. And he also says, David cannot fulfill Psalm 110, verse 1, which Peter then quotes, where he says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Oh, it's not David who ascended on high. It's Jesus who has ascended on high. And Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father with full power and full authority. And so Peter is saying, since Jesus has fulfilled all of this for us, those who've been saved by his grace, everything is fulfilled. Therefore, what Peter is declaring and what still is true for us today, we now who are in Christ, and so just like David writing this psalm, we can say this along with Jesus. We can pray this psalm, and this psalm is completely fulfilled for us. This psalm that we read in Psalm 16 that just a second ago was kind of damning to us, now is life-giving to us in regards to the fact that we know this is a messianic psalm. This psalm speaks of Jesus. This psalm speaks of our Jesus, our King, our Savior, Our Lord, the one that just a little bit ago, we sang a song saying, I surrender all to you. Why do we surrender all to him? Because in him, he has fulfilled this psalm for us. So now we actually can rightfully stand in this room this morning and say, I take refuge in you and in you alone. 
because I'm in Christ and Jesus did it perfectly for me. You are my Lord. Now you and I both know as soon as we walk out of this place, that's going to change in some way. We're going to fall short of that. Some of you, if you're like me right now, your Lord might be your stomach. That's all you can think about. I'm with you. My stomach's been growling all morning, starving. But no, I can actually say, no, God, you are my Lord perfectly because Jesus followed the Father every step of the way perfectly and I am his and he is mine. We can say things like, the Lord is my chosen portion. Again, you and I this week are going to struggle with that. You're going to have many choices this week. Should I do A or should I do B? And sometimes it's going to be so muddy, you're going to be like, I don't know which one is the God-honoring thing and which one isn't. You're going to, you're going to struggle. But there's going to be other times where it's sin or don't sin. And you're going to sin. You're going to choose it. But yet in Christ, I can say, Jesus never chose sin. You were 100% Jesus' chosen portion. And you see me in Christ because of your grace. You and I today can stand here and declare to God and say this 100% with surety. God, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not let me see corruption. You will not let me die. We can say that. Why? Because we are in Christ and those in Christ will not see corruption. We will not be abandoned to Sheol. We have that promise Our home is with him forever, for eternity. And so, yeah, this body's going to fade away. That's because of sin. It it has to. I'm a sinner. This body has to go away. But there's a promise that Tim's body will not stay that way. That one day I'll be given a new body. And just as Christ rose from the dead, I will rise from the dead. Not because of Tim and my work and my promises. No, because of the promise God has gave me in Christ. He rose from the dead. I am his. Therefore, I rise from the dead. I have to. God will not abandon my soul to Sheol. And lastly, I can sit here and declare, because of Christ, God, you have given me a beautiful inheritance. You see, we all, all of us fall in a different socioeconomic scale, don't we? Some of you will get good inheritance, some others will not. Some of you get to go on very nice vacations, others don't. Some of you are free to spend money and do different things, and others can't because it's tight. But we actually can all gather here this morning and declare, we all have a beautiful inheritance in Christ that nobody can touch, that nobody can take away, that actually... This whole world is mine, and it's yours, because God has given it to us in Christ. And so we, actually, apart from everybody else in this world, we get to enjoy the great pleasures of this world. We get to enjoy the goodness and the fullness that God has put in this world, because we are the only ones in Christ and able to do that. We see this world as we are supposed to, through the eyes of our Father, because he's given us his word so that we can do it. And so we see that this goodness is from him, and we, we praise the one who has given us the good things. We're thankful for it. 
And this psalm helps us then, as I said, come to the Lord's table this morning. As we drink of this cup, we eat of this bread, we know that it's Jesus who's given us this supper. It's his body. It's his blood that has saved us. You don't gather under the church of Tim or Spencer or Scott or Dave or anything like that. We don't even gather together because we're just Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. We gather together under the banner of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who's given us this supper. And as we partake of this supper, what do we remember? We remember the good that he has done for us, apart from us. The good that he has done for us, that we can declare, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You've loved me and you've, you've saved me. And we get to look around this room at other people that he saved and say, you are my delight. I love you. And I love you. Why? Because we are in Christ and he has put us together and we have the privilege of worshiping and praising and honoring his name day in and day out together as a church family. That's what we get to partake in in the Lord's Supper this morning. And then in the Lord's Supper as well, we look forward, don't we? That's part of it. We look forward to the fact that Jesus has promised that he will return. And in his returning, he takes his own with him. We look forward to that day. We look forward to the day to when there is no more sin, there's no more corruption, there's no more struggle, there's no more tweaking your knee and limping around or whatever it might be, all that stuff that we go through. No more hurt or hardship or grief or pain. It's all gone. Why? Because Jesus has promised to come again and we get to spend eternity with God forever where the Bible tells us he will wipe every tear from our eye Every hurt, every pain will be gone and we get to spend eternity worshiping and praising our God, our Lord, and our Savior. I'm going to pray this morning and our men are going to come uh, after I pray and they're going to hand out uh, the elements there. If you would, just hold them. I'll give you instruction after you get them. Now, we do believe that this supper is for those and only for those who've been saved by God's grace who trusted in Christ. And so if that's not you this morning, if you have never done that, then we just simply ask, just let it pass you by. We're not judging you. Uh, we actually respect that you and do that. But for the rest of us who've been saved by God's grace, we've been baptized as believers, uh, we want you to partake in this uh, with us because this is your supper as well in Christ. And so again, after I pray, man, if you would come and hand those out. And as I said, I'll give more instruction once we get them, all right? God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for Psalm 16. God, it's a beautiful psalm as we read it, but I really do think that as we contemplate it, we start to realize this promise cannot be for me because I cannot be this devoted. I do not always choose you. I do not always go after you. I do not always seek refuge in you, protection in you. Too often I try to find it in myself or in things of this world. So God, it can almost be terrifying at the end of the psalm, thinking, well, what does that mean for me? Because this is not me. But God, we thank you that that's not the end of the story. That as Peter said, David wrote this psalm thinking of his Lord Jesus to come. And we know that Jesus has fulfilled Psalm 16 perfectly and he has done it in our place. 
And so this morning, I can declare this psalm. I can pray Psalm 16 fully, openly, and honestly because Christ has done it for me. And because he has done it for me, that means I have chosen you perfectly. I do find protection and rest in you always. And God, I praise you for that. God, we thank you for Jesus. God, I pray for that person here this morning who's never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, never experienced your grace or understood it. God, I pray that they would today, that you would help them to see their desperate need for you and all that you have done for them. It's not about them. It's about your work, your finished, accomplished work. God, as we partake of this Lord's Supper together, use it in our lives. Help us to see visually the truth that Jesus has come, his body was broken for us, that his blood was spilt for us so that we could be forgiven of our sin, so that we could be made new and whole. And God, as we partake of this supper together, I do pray that we would realize we don't partake of this as individuals. We're partaking of it here in a gathering, as a church family, that you've brought us in, that you've put us with, that we would praise you, that you don't just save us, but you save all of us. So God, we thank you for the church. And God, also we look forward to the day when Christ would return, when we can be gathered with the whole church throughout all time to be able to worship you, to praise you, and to be in your presence forever and forever. So God, bless this time now as we partake of the Lord's Supper that you called us to. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.